This episode of Bad About Movies is brought to you by Audible.com. Audible.com is the number one resource for finding and discovering audiobooks. And Audible.com has all the hottest titles and most popular books available, including the New York Times bestsellers. Maybe you've been wanting to read more, or maybe you have a resolution next year to ingest more literature. Well, there's no reason to wait. Start that journey today through the joy and pleasure of audiobooks. Visit audible.com slash mad, that's audible.com slash mad, to start your 30-day trial today. Thanks again to Audible for making this episode happen. Now let's start the show. You sound insane. You realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. Seriously? It's showtime. Brian Gill, what are we talking about today? Today, we are talking about Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight. I feel like we've come a little bit full circle, fellas. I, I agree. Don't you? Yeah, that's right. This was our first... Django was our first episode. First official episode. Almost, right. what, three Matt years ago? Three almost, years ago, almost to the day? Basically when Django was out. Yeah. Yeah. Or it came out. It's about, yeah, it's almost to the day. So that's, that's kind of crazy. 186-ish episodes later. 186. That's not too shabby. We have done podcast episodes on basically three full years of movies. <laughs> That's pretty... Quite the accomplishment. Quite the uh, undertaking. Yeah. It's, yeah. It seems like it's weird. I don't know if you guys feel this way, but it, I feel like we're just getting started in a way. It's weird. Yeah. I don't. I'm, I'm, re- I'm ready. <laughs> I think Richard has tried to get out of this. So well, auditions are open for co-host number three for yeah. Mad About Movies. Godwin's got the inside track. Godwin is, is in the lead. Yeah. <laughs> if it goes to the fan vote. Yes. Well, thank you, Godwin, for joining us last week. That was great. This Always week, we got two more films to talk about. One, The Hateful Eight, and we're also talking Room in a few days, so be on the lookout for that. What an experience The Hateful Eight was, and I'm excited to talk about this with you, Brian, for a number of reasons. <laughs> I'm excited, and, too. And uh, the first of those being you're experiencing it in 70 millimeter, or glorious 70-millimeter. Yes. Glorious 70-millimeter roadshow format. Exciting. Exciting. Very cool. Very exciting. But there's a lot of movie news to talk, believe it or not. There's a lot that I want to talk about. I don't feel like we've had a full movie news segment, no American just, Treasure segment in a long time. We've just been, yeah. we've just, just been cranking, burning through just these, cranking shows, man, just ripping through them, right? And it's ripping throats through them. Uh, we <laughs> gobble, gobble, need gobble. To get used to that because that's yeah. pretty much our go-to movie. Classic <laughs> McGruber. Uh, we, you want to go? <laughs> the first thing I want to talk about is a tragic death, and. <laughs> One Way to start of, the year strong. One of the, I mean, there's some, been some sad times on the show in the past, and I feel like this is one of the saddest. The, the demise of Yahoo Screen. <laughs> I mean, I can't live. I, I personally, you. I personally can't go on any anymore with life, yeah. and so this is the end. Now that Yahoo screen is out of my life. <laughs> We're going to finish talking about Hateful Eight, and then the podcast is over, and Kent's going to kill himself. <laughs> Thanks, Just Yahoo screen. <laughs> one of the first, I, not first, but one of the many, I guess, failed attempts at starting a network or streaming service of some yeah. kind. I'm glad because that, of course, yeah. releases the uh, handcuffs on SNL 
and what they can do with their content. I I noticed they've been doing a lot of YouTube uploading lately in the past few. Unfortunately, it doesn't quite because they're going to incorporate a lot of the content, including SNL, into other Yahoo ventures. Uh, Beat down. Beat down. So Yahoo screen may be dead, but we're still going to have to go to other parts of Yahoo to see certain SNL sketches. You know, for the next like eleven years. See, for somebody deal. who has made, who has been in the business as long as Lorne has, he's had very few misses. You know, like it's kind of remarkable his hit percentage. Melanie Hutzel, <laughs> uh, Abby Elliott. Yeah, you know, Abby Elliott's it's birthday in- was yesterday, and she's twenty eight. Oh. I mean, she was on SNL when she was like twenty three and terrible. Wow, still not funny. Um, <laughs> but this has to be one of the three or four biggest misses in his career because this is like SNL is maybe the number one show in the history of television as far as how it translates to YouTube like it's such a YouTube ready product and we can't get to it it's such a beatdown it is such a beatdown to go through Yahoo or whatever other service we have to do and that it's not all available that there's times when I'm like remember that bit from 8 years ago on SNL and we can't find it anywhere like, right you would have think insane. they would have hired 8 interns to upload literally yes. every sketch of ever or done maybe to like YouTube back yeah. in it he's not doing anything yeah. and he just <laughs> just look your your contract is for three years but uh we're gonna need you to upload these videos to <laughs> Yahoo or something like i mean that's it's really kind of insane like it, it yeah. doesn't make sense when you factor and we all love lauren we're huge lauren fans it's just it's such an odd miss in a career that has been remarkably consistent on getting things right especially since fallon has done so well on youtube and they have that yes you know and he i mean he oversees that but i mean that is a swing and a miss i guess they might have signed those rights away early or too early for them to know what was really going to happen but man maybe it was probably an nbc it was it with broadway video or was with nbc i don't know with nbc then i don't blame warren if it's with broadway video uh, i'm going to have to have yeah. a sit down with him and, and Paul Simon and Paul McCartney. <laughs> Maybe they just Steve felt like it was worth it. Paul Millsap. How much did they lose on? <laughs> how much did they lose on shutting down Yahoo Screen, Brian? Forty-two million dollars. Forty-two. That million honestly do- seems low. I'm not gonna lie. It kind of does until you remember that it literally it ran for a year. Like I don't. I really don't think it yeah. was around for the full calendar we year. Just rights alone were a pretty penny, and then you think. You what think, it costs to make a season of Community, <laughs> and then, um, yeah, I don't know those Bachelor parody videos with Ben Stiller. <laughs> that was it, right? That was Yahoo Screen. Yeah, I think that's it. I literally never turned it on one time. I never went to Yahoo Screen and watched it a was single so thing. Annoying to use. I heard it was really obnoxious, and I just never. I was like, you know, I don't think. And I and I loved Community. Season five of Community is great, but I just wasn't. That was too far for me to go for. Uh, for season six. Maybe they just felt like $42 million was worth it to make community go away forever. Let's just, <laughs> let's just pull the plug. Take this is the only way we can kill this. Let's take one for the team guys. Let's do it. I like, I like Richard's idea that we discussed over text, uh, of where community could screen. Now the Yahoo screen is gone. I don't know if Richard remembers, but I hope not anywhere guys get ready for season nine. Really interesting streaming deal. Um, those TVs inside of gas pumps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
whole new season. At like Mercy Cannot USA TV, yeah. gas pumps. Yeah. 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 Yep. And then season it. 10 is going to be exclusively. Remember those old handheld TVs with the antenna? <laughs> Only UHF. You still have, yeah. Yeah. The UHF band ones. If you yeah. still have one of those, you can see season 10 of Community. Right. And it'll only be Joel McHale at that point. They'll lose one more actor every single season. I'm pumped. Uh, it's <laughs> going to be interesting to see where that goes from there. Pour one out. Tough times for Yahoo Screen. So that was my little suggestion of, of movie news, Brian. I understand you have something else oh, on the plate. Got some big news, guys. Oh. Big news. Oh. Big news. I'm really excited about this, and I know you guys are as well. Uh, I would say of the three of us, I'm the 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 smallest fan of this incredible franchise but i know so i know you guys uh-huh. are both uh-huh. Uh-huh. huge just just big uh-huh. time uh-huh. fans uh ultimate adoration <laughs> for this franchise so i just want to let you know it's still in good hands you don't have to worry transformers 5 is coming and michael bay <sighs> is going to direct it this time oh. is the last time he says for the third so or we've heard before right where can guys, we go well, now or what you know you guys party you ready to go if Jim Halpert is in this, I'm going to be very upset. Come on, Jimmy Halpert. I want good things for you. They make so much money, guys. Just make yep. so much it's just, money. Can we just have... Here's an idea. Let's just be overt and stop kind of beating around the bush here. Transformers 5, entirely in Mandarin. Yeah, seriously. And then, hey, don't even release it here. We're cool. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe every, release it on Yahoo screen. Yeah, every transfer was like, well, I mean, it made $89 billion in China. It's like, well, good. Yeah. Their problem. Why yeah. do I have to see The tomatoes? last one was made just for China, I'm pretty <laughs> yes, sure. Yes, absolutely. I mean, there's an hour of only China at the end that's <laughs> right. a totally separate movie, basically. Right. It's kind of weird. <laughs> Gosh. It's uh, a <laughs> last Slow-mo. one. I'm looking at all the, the box grosses because you guys are totally right. So... Transformers 1, 2007, made $709 million. 45% of that was domestic. Okay. Transformers 2, we hit a peak. Uh, $836 million, 48% domestic. Mm -hmm. So we got 3% dumber that year. Um, (laughs) Transformers Dark of the Moon, $1.1 billion, 31% domestic. And oh gosh, Transformers: Age of Extinction, one point one billion dollars again. Y'all guess what's the percentage of uh, I domestic? I bet revenue? it's fifteen percent domestic. Okay, Richard, the last 20, one was thirty-one. Yeah, I'm gonna go twenty-three. Very close. Very close. It was twenty-two percent. Twenty-two point two percent domestic. Just over. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's fine. Gosh, it's cool. Like, put uh, Chow Yun Fat. Is he still around? <laughs> Chow Yun Fat and, uh, you know, a beautiful young Asian actress. And you guys um, make it awesome. But uh, yeah. if you guys are into it, that's great. I'm glad you love Transformers China. Right. You know, we're just going to. My one our, request. By the way, they import us everything, all these great products. This is the one thing right. we import to them. Like, yeah. no, how Total do they not? Yeah. 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 Um, my only request is that if they do cast Chow Yun Fat, that he also plays an inventor from West Texas, like Mark Wahlberg did. <laughs> he might geographically going. be closer to West Texas, I mean, from China, <laughs> than Mark Wahlberg is. I don't know. I need to look at a map. 
certainly in spirit, at least. Kent, are you nervous, by the way? I'm not nervous. Speaking mm. of grossing? Not at nervous? all. Not at all, because in their defense, I will say, Transformers make great podcast episodes, and I can't <laughs> wait for those. True. So I'm looking true. forward to that. But wider question, are you, are you getting nervous? Why? Star Wars, number four all time, still hasn't opened in China. Are you getting nervous to say it's not oh, going to be the no. number one? I'm not nervous. It probably only, will it's be. Only, my, it's only a bit. You, yeah. you know what you said. If Brian and I were right, you're going to come over and wash our feet. Never said that. <laughs> Never once. Pretty sure you said that. Brian? <laughs> yeah, I Brian? think I remember that. Yeah, it's weird. You got a two-thirds majority, yeah. bro. One Man. of our interns got to go back and listen to all these podcasts. Never said that. Find where you said that. What I, what I was saying, though, is that people say things are going to be the biggest movie of all time, and they don't realize how tough it is yeah. to become the biggest movie of all time. They're like, oh, yep. This will be an I, avatar. Like, yeah. it's, I actually think it's, it's, it's going to be, uh, unless unless China comes in really high, I actually think it's going to be tough now for it to get there because it's slowed just a little. It's going to be number two, no question. No questions asked. But that last like half a billion seems yeah. like it may be. Yep. One it, thing that could super boost it is if it gets some Oscar votes and then gets a re-release right or, I mean, well, it'll probably still be in theaters. It's already going to – they've already released the Blu-ray release date, and it's like the first week of yeah. April. So it yeah. might even be out of theaters before it – I don't know. I don't know. It, it's yeah. uh, it's it's coming coming and going pretty fast, but yeah. it's still still holding strong. I understand. Yeah, it's, it's going yeah. to destroy the domestic box office. It's That won't – it may end up yeah. – it could legitimately be close to a billion dollars uh, domestically because it's only ten million behind right now. Yeah, the it will probably record. pass. It might pass the domestic record tomorrow. Yeah, it probably pro- if not tomorrow, then by Thursday it'll. Yeah, by it'll Thursday it's it. number one yeah. movie in the history of America. Wow, cool. Yeah, at least it's good because Avatar is not that great. Yeah, wow, what's, it's already passed. What's crazy movie. about this whole thing is that. They're going to make more money on merchandise than they are on oh, the movie by yes. far, by far. How close do you think? So it was a four and a half billion dollar investment initially. Four billion, just straight yeah. four billion. So then whatever it costs to make and market this movie. So right in another 500 mil. Mm-hmm. So 4.5. Yeah. How close after just this movie do you think they'll be to paying that back? They've paid it back yeah. easily already. I think, they, you think? what, they're, did, they're, what I, did you say last time? Kane? I saw I I saw yeah. a projection between six and seven billion on just merch for Gosh. the Force Awakens and all the other Star Wars related merch that they've released since. And it's got to be crazy margin on that stuff. Right? And then That's, probably, yeah. like you said, close to three billion on movie uh, tickets. So there's almost ten billion right there on just one movie. <laughs> I don't know what George was yeah. thinking. George, George George had to have been thinking of a few things. And by the way, George Lucas is big time in the news right now. He is. He did a Charlie Rose interview, which I encourage every listener of this show to to watch in in full, a full hour about why he sold Star Wars and how he made Star Wars. And um, but he gets pretty candid now that he's not doesn't own Star Wars anymore. But yeah, anyway, um, he had to have been thinking uh, two things. One, I just want to get out of this, and four billion dollars is a lot of money. And two. $4 billion is going to be hard to make back because we know how the prequels did. I think they might have made two, maybe with all three of them, $2 billion. Yeah. She's like, well, maybe, in, that maybe still in, a market if right, they're good. Well, right. And he's like, well, maybe after they make five movies, they'll, they'll break even on this thing. And then, <laughs> you know, that'll be. <laughs> that's not how it happened. Um, <laughs> it's. Well, I got everyone really hyped after Sith. So, really, I mean, they were just. 
ready to go see a movie no matter what it was. And like. he probably thinks he's he's up to this. He's at this level now. He probably thinks that no one would be interested in Star Wars without George Lucas. <laughs> so he's like, oh, yeah, you know, he probably thought he was getting good, you know. But they're going to make ten billion off this. This it's the steal of the century. It's yeah. the it's going to be the Babe Ruth trading to the Yankees deal. Uh, you know, it's it's. It's basically traded it for a bag of beans at this point. If you're yeah. Disney, and I, I'll take the just a slightly different tone. Like I, I think you could totally be right that it was an egotistical thing. I've I've always felt There's like several reasons. I'm sure when he yeah, thought about it, but I will say this: I think that he he sold it to the right people. Oh yeah, and I, it was like a to me. It's just it goes into this whole weird relationship that Lucas has with you know, his films and with the fans and vice versa. It's like, I think in his mind, if you're thinking, okay, I can't make any more Star Wars movies because these people hate them. Like they just hate me for making these movies. But I feel if, if it's, if somebody's going to make them, who is, who can do them right? And there's really only one choice when you go to that. Cause I mean, it's look, it's really uh, cool and hipster to hate Disney, but Disney turns out a good product, whether you think it's a corporate product or not, doesn't really matter. It, they make good films, and uh, to hand it over to Disney, even for I, I think I think he knew he took a massive, he made a it seem massive like, cut from what he could have gotten somewhere. Well, he else. made it seem like it was. He decided to sell it, and then you know Bob Iger heard, called him, and right. said, right. "I want to buy it," and then the deal was almost done. Like. They they just talked a few numbers right. and it was done. Like it wasn't even sure before another buyer before before oh, he before he even thought it through. Like I just want to sell this thing. Wow, four billion dollars. Okay, let's do this. You know, and that's that's crazy. I mean, he said a he said a lot of things like the fact that Disney threw out his all of his ideas for the Force Awakens and the future trilogies. He's like, yeah, they wanted to make a throwback movie and I wanted to make a new Star Wars movie. And he's he said some pretty regrettable things and. That he that he sold it to white the white slavers and some bad bad like I I yeah, know what he meant by it like he sold it to yeah. the man basically uh, the corporate yeah. America but he said the very wrong phrasing of that I guess right. right and he's taking a lot of heat for it but man I hope George Lucas stays angry and in the media because it's fascinating fascinating stuff I uh, I encourage you Richard to watch it because you love some Charlie Rose I know I that I do love Charlie Rose he's American Dude. treasure. Candidate Charlie Rose. I think I think he's already in. He's definitely already in. Speaking of American Treasures, do you want to do that right now? Yeah, we can. So we're kicking off 2016 with some American Treasure nominees, and the way this thing goes is we have a little Hall of Fame, which we like to induct people that we adore and that define what is great about American cinema. They have a few qualifications, one of which they have to be 50 years old or in the business for 25 years, have to be an American citizen. And they have to have a sense of humor about themselves. So we'll start things off tonight with Brian Gill. Brian. This gentleman has made um, a career out of comedy, of subversive comedy, of mm. off-kilter comedy. Um, Gallagher. He, <laughs> exactly. American Treasure Gallagher and the watermelon <laughs> gets a jacket as well. The best. <laughs> best, Brian. The best. It's I'm a sorry. very best. Very messy vest. <laughs> yes. Splash. And you know what? We're getting, yeah, we're getting one for the hammer, too. So uh, <laughs> they're going to share their own apartment. All we're, we're putting all the uh, 
all the people around him on the list on our website. <laughs> You're in the splash zone. Just warning yeah. you. Make sure you wear a poncho to your apartment. <laughs> oh, man. Goodness. Okay. So my, my nominee, uh, he has spent time in, a lot of time in television, uh, but he also made a couple of very funny films that I think only get better with, uh, with age. He's a very interesting dude. I've listened to a few interviews with him recently, and I've just been blown away by how funny and um, and sarcastic and real he is. So, anyway, I'm going to bring to the table American Treasure Mike Judge. Very wide-spanning resume. He's been yes, doing this for, for sure. a really long time and in a lot of different, very popular uh, venues, I guess, or features. Okay. Richard. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm thinking about it uh, very much. So you have, you're right. Very varied career. <laughs> um, you know, and it seems like animation sort of lends itself to that, right? I think, you know, you look at someone like Mike Judge who's done uh, animation as well as film work and now mm-hmm. tel- television work. Um, Seth MacFarlane, the same. And then like jazz albums on top of that. Uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone have done, you know, award-winning Broadway musicals and films and, you know, uh, marionette work and <laughs> animation as well. It seems like it's a skill that really teaches you a lot about uh, storytelling and humor in a variety of ways and performance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm, I'm partial to uh, these kind of guys. I like Mike Judge a lot. Uh, I think, you know, Idiocracy is one of the most kind of screwed over by a studio films yeah. uh, that I can remember. Office Space, I'm not as high at Office Space as most, um, but it's certainly great. In a lot of ways, um, I just I don't know. Maybe I've seen it too many times and it was overhyped to me or something. I just sure. I'm, I may never watch it again, but that doesn't mean I don't like it. Uh, you slight, you guys slightly missed the the heyday too of Office. I Space, I, I didn't. I love. Office well, I'm Space. saying you guys are a little bit younger, and that that's it's almost that's it's almost a top ten of all time for me. It's that yeah. Mm-hmm. It's honorable mention probably yeah. True. Love it. I love Mike Judge. So love Beavis and Butthead. I seriously love, love Beavis and Butthead. Still so funny. When <laughs> yeah, they brought it back, when they, they brought, brought it back, back two years, years ago, ago, yeah, it was funny. It was fun. They, it and they stopped doing it. I think it did Silicon yeah. Valley and just kind of, yeah, man, yeah, that yeah. show is, is still peaking as well. Um, Very funny. They were dumb to bring it back. Like it, I understand the romance of bringing it back on MTV, but yeah. they should have brought it back on Comedy Central. I mean, it's a yeah. sister network. It would have mm-hmm. been easy to do with rights. It just didn't fit what MTV was. They wanted to do. They wanted to to have it like they used to have it, where they would just come in between breaks and do. Yeah. Beavis and Butthead hosting like a night of television kind of hour, you know, like they used to do, and yeah, having them roast like Jersey Shore and stuff was pretty funny. I think it was funny, and then but then they would have them do the music video bit or the concert bit, and they make fun of it, which is hysterical. There's one. Gosh, I remember cry laughing one night watching that. One of the recent ones where I can't remember what it was, but it, it was a Teen Mom. It did Teen Mom, <laughs> and it was really funny. But um, but they would do the music video thing still. And it's like, well, this is weird now on a channel that doesn't show music videos. Right. I yes. just think uh, MTV or like E even or gosh, even Bravo would have been better fit. I mean, <laughs> Beavis and Butthead doing Real Housewives would be legitimately funny, but it just was odd on MTV. It didn't fit with their kind of branding anymore. So I think that's why it didn't work, but I, I respect the idea. Yeah. I love Mike judge. I'm going to, I'm going to give him a, a, give him a yes. I'm voting it. Dallas native Mike judge, by the yeah. way, lived and worked in Dallas for many years. 
shot yeah. part of office base in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And also uh, base part of King of the Hill, basically base King of the Hill off of uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth uh, Metroplex suburbs. So he gets my vote. Sweet. Love you. Also, Can't, also don't mess has, with a, Texas. has a BS in physics, too. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's a yeah. really smart computer Really dude, great too. guy to listen to yes. a podcast on. If, yes. he, if he's a guest on a podcast, yeah. uh, if any of those guys interview him. His, uh, yeah. his interview on Nerdist was really good. And I'm not a huge Nerdist fan to begin with, but his interview was awesome on that. Well, I'm going to nominate tonight. Uh, it's applicable to this evening. I'm going to go ahead and say it. American treasure Quentin Tarantino. Okay, here's the thing about Tarantino, right? <laughs> is that uh, so? He does this kind of interesting thing. Okay, you do a pretty uh, good Tarantino. I don't think we've heard uh, Quentin on the oh. show before. Have I not done Quentin before? I've done Quentin. We need to years. do Quentin talking to Owen because Quentin hates <laughs> Owen in real life. That's right. He thinks That's he's right. Just he's just like... the worst like comedian of all time. <laughs> but no he joke. liked him in yeah. uh, Midnight in Paris. Yeah, remember that? It's like. Uh, I always remember my favorite Tarantino moment. And by the way, I'm going to vote yes. My favorite Tarantino moment, he was on Conan. This is probably like Kill Bill era. And uh, Conan's like, hey, you're known for like bringing back um, old actors from the 70s um, in your films. And, and this is, you know, that you have an eye for old television and, and film. And, and is, we're going to challenge you with some people that maybe you could bring back. And uh, they put up Sherman Hemsley from the uh, Jeffersons. Uh-huh. And Tarantino goes, there's this great, like, without missing a beat, like, I don't really think he thought it was a joke. He's like, there's this great episode of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air that's in, like, season three, all right? And <laughs> Sherman Helmsley's a guest star, okay? And, like, he's, like, really kick-ass and, like, cool, okay? And, uh, and like, it's just this really cool and cool moment. It's, it's vibing. And the song comes on, and it's uh, this awesome, like, uh, uh, Africa Mambata remix, okay? And, like, Sherman yeah. Helmsley, and, like, he narrates this whole Fresh Prince episode that's just in his brain <laughs> somewhere and Conan, Conan doesn't really know what to do and it's like one of the most, most captivating three minutes of television you'll ever see of course uh-huh. it's no on the line anywhere because NBC doesn't want to acknowledge Conan never worked for them or right. existed yeah Great. but it's fantastic basically delegitimizing my teenage years so thanks for that <laughs> exactly. NBC. he went off on on Disney the other day on Howard Stern Quentin did and yeah. it's it's worth googling as well it's it's funny because Disney screwed him over with the Cinerama Dome in uh, in L.A. They wanted exclusively for Star Wars to show there or whatever. So that's crazy. So, Brian, what would you uh, vote? Yeah, I, I would give him a yes. I think he's an interesting candidate because he really pushes the boundaries of are you obnoxious or are you a genius? You know, like I, I there are very few people that can spout off at the mouth the way that he does and still keep me on board with them, I think is how I would put that. Um, I'll tell you, and this is really, really weird. The thing that sold me on Quentin Tarantino as a person, or at least as a, as an American treasure and as a, uh, what he adds to the industry, he was a guest, uh, coach on American idol, like, Mm-hmm. eight years ago mm-hmm. and he was awesome like he he it's the yep. same as just what you were talking about richard with the um with the interview on conan like he had so much to say and so much actual genuine critique and advice for all these people and it was really spot on in a show where usually you just get 
you know, sing louder or put more motion into or whatever. Like he had these great thoughts to share. And it was it was it totally took me off guard and was so shocking. So, uh, yeah, Quentin Tarantino is in for me. Awesome. Solely for his from dust till dawn work. Yes, absolutely. I've never seen another movie of his until. (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. Okay. I'm glad he stopped acting. I mean, he still shows up in his movies. Like he sh- when he showed up in Django, it's like, oh man, yeah. Like he needs he's to got stop. an Australian accent, but he's still right. Tarantino. Yeah, that was. Hey, we're gonna take you out and kill you, okay? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> um, okay, Richard, who are you gonna nominate? Yeah, I'm gonna nominate. This is kind of an off. I don't know if you guys will see this one coming, but it's been on my list for a while. And I'm just gonna go for it. Um, classic, classic uh, actor. This is a North American treasure. Uh, been in some of the greatest films of all time. Avril Lavigne. Chad <laughs> <laughs> Kroger. It's a double. It's oh, a double. Oh, double. They the want to be in the same apartment together, though. That's Yeah, I know. Well, they have to fight to the death. Um, <laughs> it's a classic actor who's been in uh, one of the most iconic films of all time, as well as many others. And, and uh, someone who's, I think, overlooked a lot of times by our generation, even when we kind of fetishize certain classic actors. This guy's certainly uh, left off sometimes. And uh, he's very funny, very sarcastic, has a great appreciation for young comedic actors, which I always like in my kind of older Shakespearean, crazy good actors. And so I'm going to go North American treasure, Christopher Plummer. Oh, nice. Nice. I love Christopher Plummer. I think he is. You're smart. Well, yes, obviously. (laughs) Very, very wise and talented. Um, He's got a great range he does so many cool things he seems to really you're totally right like he gets it he's not curmudgeonly or uh embittered towards younger generation and he's been doing stuff for 50 plus years and doesn't yeah yeah and he's not (laughs) stopping like he's he's really good uh you know he's very good in star trek six the undiscovered countries like This super Shakespearean Klingon, and it's really <laughs> weird, and probably it fails miserably if it's not Christopher Plummer. I, I love Christopher yeah. Plummer. That's a great nomination. Totally in. The last he thing, always seems English, but he's Canadian, yeah, so it yeah. worked. The last thing I saw him featured prominently in was maybe Dragon Tattoo or Parnassus. Yeah, yeah, he did that movie with uh, with Ian McGregor a few years ago. They got nominated. Oh, for. Be- Beginners! Tall, he okay. won the Oscar for that, didn't he? Yeah, the Beginners. Yeah, that was he was fantastic in that. Excellent. Great in Up, by the way. My kid was watching Up yesterday yep. or the day before, and he's he voices the explorer in that. Really good, really good voice work too. He gets my vote. Awesome. That's a great nomination. That's way off book. I like it. Dracula, Dracula, two thousand. Remember his work yeah. in Dracula 2000? <laughs> I think we all do. I think that's what he, I think what, that'll be on the headstone for sure, right? Yeah. Yeah. I would put Omar Epps pretty up there and from that movie, his work in that movie. He's in The Insider, which is a great uh, late 90s movie. Um, Gosh, the National God. Treasure films, or at least the first one. Jeez, I forgot Dracula 2000 was a movie, as did <laughs> everyone is. else, I'm sure. Great. It's a Jeez, movie. Gerard, Gerard Butler's in that movie. Remember Halloween H2O as well? 
Oh, Lord. <laughs> what a great, Halloween 20 or whatever it was. Or, or so it, was 20 of, year, no. it was Halloween H2O because it was 20 years old since the last Halloween, right. the first Halloween. It made no sense why they did yeah. H. Just I like for an think, excuse to do H2O as the I like to explain title. culture from like 1998 <laughs> yeah. to like 2000 as we were just very preoccupied with Y2K. Yeah. And we couldn't, we, we didn't have time to have any sort of a step <laughs> yeah. Because we thought the we world fired all in. our editors. They're out. They're out uh, bagging up water as we speak. So like boy bands got really big and the movies were really bad. And we were just like, look, we don't know if we're going to have food in three weeks. We can't yeah. focus. Yes, sure. More 98 degrees, whatever. This is the most so, film credit of all time. The fifth highest uh, rated uh, cast member of Dracula 2000 is vitamin C. <laughs> Hey guys, so we talked all night about the rest of our lives. Where are we going to be when we turn 25? Oh, Nathan Fillion, what are you doing? Oh, man, man, this is Shane I'm West. That's a very early go. 2000s, too. Uh, yeah, Danny Madison, too. Whenever hmm. we uh, decide to end this podcast because of um, the sexual harassment suit that Kent files against you and I, Brian, or uh, that's, that's how I assume it's going to end, we need to end it with Vitamin C, the graduation song. That's just how we fade out. Right, I like it. Into the ether. Followed by the third eye blind graduation song right <laughs> afterwards. Just and then good. we gotta we gotta finish off with Green Day's Time of Your Life. There's I mean I really don't or five anyway. for fighting fifteen there's still <laughs> time for you. Oh man. That was my grad that was actually my graduation song and I was so mad. I did not graduate from high school, but I think it Baller. was yeah, humble brag. Up? Yeah, how about that? Uh, went straight to college, TCC. What up? Um, <laughs> I think it was. I think it was the third day or third day. The uh, uh, third, third, eye third eye blind song. But the year I before, that, hard. I've never been prouder of the of, of humans from Haltom City than I was the year before that. The graduation song was "Freebird" by Leonard Skinner, <laughs> and it was a it was a write in vote. Like somebody somebody got a campaign going to get Leonard Skinner in. We we fought Kent and I fought pretty hard for Insane Clown Posse, but uh, I fought for Ignition R. Kelly. But it <laughs> that didn't would happen. have been the best one. I don't know really do this, but uh, go ahead and break about a little piece of the <laughs> Um High school kids, if you're listening, uh, you've got two choices, obviously, for graduation song, and they're the two greatest songs ever. So you're lucky. Uh, Ignition remix or Pony by Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we for the listener at least once a month. Richard sends Kent and I video of <laughs> of him hearing Pony at a bar or wherever at some point. It's like the greatest song I, ever. Like at least once I a request, month. I request it everywhere I go. <laughs> Not kidding. Every wedding I go to, I request Pony. <laughs> And uh, there's no better way to get on the good side of a DJ. Like this guy's at some boring white people <laughs> wedding and he's just had, he just played his 14th different, like Jason Mraz song. <laughs> and you just go, and it's, everyone's requesting just awful, like Jason Aldean. And you just go up to him and you're like, Hey bro, pony genuine. He's like, and the guy just looks at you like, yes, <laughs> hero. hero. <laughs> yeah. Hey, what's up, ma'am fam. Kent here. And yes, if you're hearing from me, you know, it's time to talk about blue apron. If you haven't tried out Blue Apron by now, what the heck are you even doing? Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They deliver fresh meals straight to your door. All the food is fresh. 
It's sourced from local farms, and there's no wasted ingredients. I've been a Blue Apron subscriber for a long time now, and they have still, to this day, never let me down. There's tons of variety. Some featured upcoming meals include summer vegetable and egg paninis, soy glazed pork and rice cakes, skillet vegetable chili with cheddar drop biscuits, holy crap, and garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad. So take it from me. Try out Blue Apron now. Go to blueapron.com slash mad. That's blueapron.com slash mad. Get three meals on us for free. Nothing goes better with a movie than dinner. So check out Blue Apron. Blueapron.com slash mad. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Well, but what better transition than talk <laughs> the hateful eight? So I guess, Brian, we've been waiting, anticipating it. Have at it. First, I don't know uh, why you're impression. so excited for my thoughts on this movie. Like you, you act like I hate because Clint you're Clint. the only one that's all in glorious seventy okay. millimeter. Well, it's glorious in seventy millimeter. It looks amazing. Seriously, it looks amazing. I, I do want to talk about the roadshow stuff that he had. The the whole setup. It was so cool. Like I walked in and we got uh, programs with uh, huge pictures and an explanation for what the roadshow is and the 70 millimeter and all that sort of thing. It was just a really cool environment that was, I think is exactly what it did exactly what it was intended to do, which was transform you back, you know, transport you back in time to an era where it was a treat and a thing like a big event to go to the movies. And it was so cool um, you know, it starts, there's no previews. It just went straight into an overture, which was really funny. And then the, uh, the, the lights came down after that and goes through the first half of the film and into an intermission and all that. It was just a really interesting sort of thing. And again, it's, it, it I think shows Tarantino's personality and like our relationship with him, because I think if, if almost any other director does that you're just like gosh this is so self-indulgent and douchey and instead with him you're like this is really cool this is a really cool thing that uh that he pulled off it looked awesome i have no idea what differences there are as far as um you know additional scenes and stuff from whatever you guys saw but uh it didn't play long which i was a little afraid of given that it was three hours and 10 minutes or something like that i mm-hmm. uh, had no issues with that and it was just I don't know. It it was fun to be in a theater for an event, and I think partly because of this whole like special treatment and and all that sort of stuff, I, the crowd was was much better than I typically get uh, on a midday weekday show. You know, I usually feel like I have to deal with people checking their phone constantly or old people talking or whatever. But this was one where it just felt like everyone who's in, it wasn't a packed theater, but it was you know, relatively full and it felt like everyone was here because they wanted to see, you know, Tarantino do his thing. And, uh, and that's what we got. So it was a really cool experience and I, I highly enjoyed it. I wish that there was, uh, we'd get something like this every year, you know, get some kind of cool event like this. They are doing it, Brian. I I think it's done well financially because they are busting it back out. Um, the whole roadshow 70 millimeter thing. For um, now, you see me too. So that's gonna be. <laughs> you get like a pack of cards and some up your sleeve magic tricks when you walk yeah. in, and half the crowd disappears by the time you leave. <laughs> <It is. laughs> 
What are those theaters where you sit in the chair and it like feels like a roller coaster when you're on it? You know what I'm talking about? Didn't they? Yeah. yeah those yeah. try to take off for a while. I hope they do that for now. You see me too. Or... <laughs> Smell a vision. Yes. Yes. I'm certainly not the first one to make this comparison. Um, it's a really interesting movie. It's, it's, I don't think it's, it's certainly not as like viscerally enjoyable as something like Django or Inglorious, which despite their violence and their sort of uh, serious subject matter, especially in the case, well, I mean, in both cases, really, um, there's a kind of joy to them and a very fun nature to them. And they're just immediately, all, they're super Tarantino-y and they're super rewatchable and great for film nerds. But there's something like just fun about any Joe Schmo can go in there and just love, enjoy themselves for two hours. Um, this one's a lot more nuanced and a lot more complicated, and the characters are not as clearly defined in terms of who's good and who's evil. In fact, most of them, not all of them, are awful human right. beings. Yeah. Um, so it's you know, there's not the redeemer of you know out of the Apache or you know Christoph Waltz and Django of just this like beacon of of <laughs> light. It's uh, it's it's uh, the morality is is questionable, but. It's so in that sense, it's a little bit of a letdown because those first two. But I think this movie will age pretty well, and I think it's a really smart script. And I think it's you know not unlike Jackie Brown, after coming after two sort of triumphant films, for him to try something that maybe isn't for everyone. You know, it's kind of like I'll do two for you and one for me kind of thing. And this one sure. seems like it's really for Quentin and Quentin types. And I love Quentin's sensibility, and I, you know, there's things I find uncomfortable about him but i like that he makes me uncomfortable and uh there are things that i find just fascinating about him and when he's at his best there's i mean not even spielberg is better than this guy when he's just peaking in my opinion i mean i just think he has the highest ceiling of any director because he just does it all the words coming out of the character's mouths are, are him and it just it's just a total you know, it's it's a total Quentin experience when you watch uh, one of his films, and it's it's really fun when that all works. And it's I'll always go to his movies and be excited for them. And uh, so it's uh, though maybe I didn't enjoy this one as much as the last two. I, I mean, I'm, I'll definitely see it a few more times, and I may end up loving it more. Like I love Jackie Brown, but I remember when I first uh, first saw it, it was like ah, oh, that wasn't as good as Pulp Fiction. Now I probably watch that one just much. So it'll be see how this film ages. I, I have a suspicion that uh, maybe we just haven't caught up to it yet. I enjoyed this every bit as much as the last two, Richard. Um, That's good, if not more. Um, it's definitely different, but this is this is the best and worst of Quentin all at once. I mean, he gives you yeah. if you're a Quentin hater, this is you love this movie, you know, because <laughs> you could criticize a lot. Um, but if you're all a Clinton lover, you could praise a lot as well. It's kind of, he gives you, throws everything at you here that he has. And as far as the 70 millimeter thing, do you feel, how gimmicky was it, Brian? Do you feel, um, did you feel like it was that much more worth it? In other words, I am not a, uh, I'm not a technical guy. You know, I really can't. I think I wish that you would have seen it in seventy millimeter, Kent, because I think you you bring that right. to the show of being able to see the true differences and stuff. I it's a wider look, so you can see more on the screen. The movie looks incredible, and I, I'm but I'm sure it looks great in every other format. You know, I, I it probably is a bit of a gimmick, 
but I do think it, if it is a gimmick, it's it seems it's like a it's well a, it's used a, gimmick. It's a way for Quentin to get uh, projectors back into theaters. Yes. Like, oh, totally. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no no question. It's it's fine. an incredibly self indulgent way to put this film out, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't work. You know, um, it looked awesome and it felt like I said, it just felt. It felt like I was going to a special event. It felt like I was going to a live event or something rather than a movie. I mean, we go Yeah. The average moviegoer, maybe they get to go to a movie maybe 20 times in the year. Maybe that's too much. Maybe it's 15, you know. We go I don't know. I would say 10. I would say less than yeah, 10. Yeah, maybe less than that. Maybe once a month, you know. Mm. We go to a movie once a week typically. Um so like it starts to wear off. Like I don't think I'll I hope I'll never get to the point where going to a movie is is a chore you know or at least going to see a de- you know a good movie i mean there's times where we see movies where i'm like gosh i don't want to see this and it's just because that's what's out that week and that's what we've got to do but on the whole i really look forward to going to movies and i love going to the theater and i i, I hope that i don't ever get to the point where i don't but there is a little because we do go so often there is a little bit of a blase sort of feel to it of just like well i gotta go to the movie i went to like seven movies over the christmas break you know there's nothing special about that um this one that it kind of it felt special it felt like maybe it's total bull and i just bought the placebo effect but i bought it you know and I, i thought it was a cool way to roll out this uh this film and 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 it's kind of the perfect film for that because it is long and self-indulgent and and the the visuals lend themselves to the you know the the extra screen uh footage i guess and uh so it's it's a it works really well for the film it was the right film to pick to do this kind of thing with so what's your review of the actual movie brian i'm with richard mostly i think uh i have this weird relationship with tarantino where um, I think he writes dialogue better than anybody in the industry, and I besides well besides George Lucas. <laughs> well, obviously, yeah. Sand, I hate sand. It's so coarse. Um, coarse, it's coarse. <laughs> yes, so my lady. Um, gosh, and yeah, it gets and it gets everywhere. <laughs> I anyway, I I think I think he uh I think he writes dialogue so well, and I love his sense of story and setting and all that stuff. I think there's almost always a moment in each movie. I think you hit it on the, you hit the nail on the head. Kent. This is the most Tarantino movie that I think he's ever made. And that is for I didn't better say that I said it was the best and worst of him. Okay. Of, of everything. Well, I'll say, I'll say, I think it's the most Tarantino movie yet. I think and Kill I Bill think... is still the most Tarantino thing ever. I don't know. I don't know. That's probably as far my as when he throws favorite. when he throws anime at you, it's kind yeah, of like okay, this is <laughs> that's true. I mean, but not the, to complain, the, but the thing is, it's like this. This works for him and against him at the same time, and I still don't honestly know how I, I feel about it at times. It's there are times when, and Django was this way, where I'm sitting and I'm watching this incredible movie, and I'm really into it, and the characters are so well designed, and the the uh it's almost like foreplay of the way that the characters are talking back and forth and all that stuff it's so cool and the acting is incredible and it looks amazing and then bam tarantino's here you know and it's it's so it distracts from the movie i think this is one for me for me at least i'll say i think this is a movie where tarantino got in his own way where the 
the need to be Tarantino and use his personal sense of uh, of violence and uh, and anger and whatever else for me it became a distraction and it was frustrating to me in some ways because I think from a character development standpoint and from even just a setting standpoint I think this is probably my favorite of his films and then I just end up with these moments where I'm like gosh but I can't I can't overlook this or that and it just really it kind of bothers me and I the thing is with with this with Tarantino is he is making a movie for himself and he's never going to change like it has to be it has to be me that changes to accept who he is as a as a filmmaker or us as a group we have to accept this is who he is as a filmmaker and either decide that we're on board with it or you know we get off the train and let it move on to the next station and that's he kind of does that in in pretty much every film that he makes i think in glorious bastards might be the only one where i never had that moment of like okay you know piss or get off the pot with this and that one's my favorite of his films i think that's his best movie and so um you know that it's it's so he makes films completely unlike anybody else and i really appreciate that and i love the way he writes i did feel like and i always i typically feel like with every one of his movies just about there are times when the need to make Tarantino movie overshadows the need to make a movie, if that makes sense. I, I feel like he, he just stripped down with this one and just tried to make it the simplest movie he could. It's just really just introducing char- eight characters and they get in a house and it's basically the good and the bad, the ugly meets 12 angry men from then on out. And mm-hmm. then, you know, who poisons the coffee is basically the main plot line here. Let's be yeah. real. And it turns into clue at that point. It's like, well, let's, let's think about this. Who did that? You know? Sure. And, and it, man, I loved it. I, I, it had just the right amount of humor for me, sure. but the, the violence, um, I, I thought it was, I thought Django was as bad as he would get at the end of that. As far as the amount of deaths mm-hmm. on screen, yeah. I think that was, that ranks very high up there on the list in movies of, deaths on screen um this might this this was this was up there greg nicotero does great work by the way who does these practical effects for tarantino and the walking dead and so i'm i i do appreciate it from an effects you know standpoint and everything and i can take it but it's just sometimes you're right it's just violence for the sake of violence sometimes brian and he just yeah. he, I, he i think he i think he he has this fear of he doesn't want anyone to walk out of a Tarantino movie and to say, "Man, that was that 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 didn't that didn't give me the 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 willies like most of his movies mm-hmm. do in some way." Um, yeah, and I, I it, this one gave me the willies in a few places, and I appreciated that because it. I want a movie to do that to make me feel at least emotionally. Right. Like wow, I'm actually affected by this in some mm-hmm. way. Um, you never, you never ever leave a Tarantino mm-hmm. movie without knowing that you've just in, seen you know, Tarantino. Yeah, and, in Pulp Fiction, and that's for better or worse. Pulp Fiction, know? it's the moment with the uh you know, the the needle in the heart thing. It's like, mm-hmm. should I even look at this? You know, you kinda have to look away because you know what's gonna happen and, and there's several moments like that in uh sure. in this without going into spoilers, of course. Mm-hmm. Which we might do at a later point. But um Richard, about the movie specifically, um what uh what's yeah. your review? I, you know, I'm interested in this idea. Uh, you know, the the cha- the chapters that he's doing lately. Yes, 
Very, chapters they should. Very I would Kill love, Bill-like. Very Kill Bill-like, mm-hmm. and Ingorious has mm-hmm. some chapters in it, too. I'd love for Tarantino to write a novel. He's always kind of hinted around it. It would be interesting to see uh, if he would ever allow that. He says that he write, of, the, most of his scripts basically are a novel that he, yeah. just, that he just whittles down into a screenplay or something. Yeah, I wish. Sometimes I wish that'd be cool to see him. Just I'd love to just read the novelization of something, um, or or an original idea as a novel. But he's he. Uh, so I'm I'm kind of interested in that sort of. He keeps kind of returning to that aesthetic. In terms of the film, kind of particular the the violence. You know something about his violence. I'm 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 not squeamish, but I'm not like a violence. Uh, I'm not like into violence most of the time in movies. Like normally, I think there could always be less. For some reason, his violence never really gets to me. I never find it. It's almost campy sometimes. Yeah, it's so over the top that I always end up just nervously laughing instead of being grossed out. And I, I think everyone always in my row is like, well, that guy's definitely murdered people because I just maniacally <laughs> laugh. It wasn't the violence in this movie that made me squeamish. It was some of the other scenarios in yeah. the movie. And again, without spoilers, but uh, he throws it all at you, like I said earlier. Yeah, and, we'll talk um, about it here in a little bit. How how well written do we think this is? Where does this rank sure. as, as the in the Tarantino screenplay? Uh huh. It's, it's up there. I, mean, I loved, like you said, Ken. I love the Twelve Angry Man part of it. I love that. Let's just get these characters in a room and see what happens. With ego so big that one yeah. of them, they all have to be right all the time. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's basically a bottle episode, right. Of a movie. Yeah, it is. It's, it's really totally cool the bottle episode Tarantino film, which is cool. Yeah. Love the screenplay. The dialogue pops. I could have used maybe a little bit more humor, but it's really funny when it's funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so you know, I, it's weird that uh, I thought know, every like, time in 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 uh, introducing a new character, going back to the nail in the door shut bit was so yeah. funny, and the way they yes. built off that yes was was a great re- recurring bit. But man, the we haven't even talked about the acting in this movie. It's just unbelievable. Fantastic. I mean, yeah. You could you could nominate five people for best. Actor, right. actress uh, in this movie. I find that always is the case with Tarantino movies. I think he's Not such all, a great... I mean, I think there are maybe one or two standout performers, but this is like five like ser- that have serious screen time, a lot of dialogue, yeah. and a lot of impact on the plot. So it's... Yeah. I just find him to be such an interesting director of actors because uh, he's, he's, so, he's so great at it. Friend of the show, Shane Byerly, who we'll have on uh, actually this year at some point. but For Batman, yeah. We're gonna do some Batman with Shane, but uh, he has a he had a Facebook status his review of it, and I I, I kind of stuck in my brain that was like J- uh, my hateful eight review in five words should have been a play. Yeah, and it's it sort of a, how it's written. I, I think it should be a movie and then a play. Like I'm yeah. glad it, it was a they they did they they fully fleshed it out like in seventy yeah. millimeter as as much as they could possibly do uh, for it. Full effects and everything. I mean, I appreciate that. I th- that's what I would be saying if, if we went and saw a play The Hateful Eight written by Quentin Tarantino we'd be like man that'd be a great movie you know yeah. what I'm saying like I want both I think we'll, yeah, we'll end up getting both this will, this makes a great play and they in fact they did it as a play or at least yeah. a table read before would, yeah. before actually committing to doing be, it I'd be fantastic to see but I I'm high on this in a lot of parts it's a it's indulgently long but if anyone has the right to do that that's that's totally him in my opinion, so I don't really mind that as much. Uh, but it's going to be really interesting it, before we break down into, into uh, more specific talk. It's really interesting to see what he does next because I know he says he wants to do another Western because he wants to have a Western period uh, of filmmaking, but I don't know. I don't know if that will go over well. 
Why do you mean go over well as far as critically? I, or? Just, I just think, yeah, I think it's going to, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be a good script and everything, but I think financially people are going to, people don't like to go see Westerns and they're like, Tarantino, I will totally give you one. But I don't, I don't know, and then maybe two. But if he pops out a third Western, I could see it kind of flopping. Because I, I think the general public will kind of lose interest and only movie nerds will see it. Yeah. And this one hasn't made just a lot of money. I was just about to ask, yeah. It's <laughs> 30, $30 million right now. Yeah. And now part of that is uh, going up against Star Wars, and then part of it is the screener got out. And, you know, so there's there's factors, but when you stack that up against Django... I'm gonna type that in here. It oh sheesh, Django made four hundred and twenty million dollars. Django so, also had Leonardo DiCaprio and Jamie Foxx. Yeah, oh yeah. totally, totally. They're I mean the the goals are different for each of these movies. There's no question, but that's a massive drop off from yeah. four hundred twenty five million to thirty million, and the reviews are not as good. It's you know seventy five percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, is that so, it? Really? Yeah. Yeah. It's certified fresh, but it kind of sat around for a while before it actually got to that, whereas Django is 88%. You know what? There, There's just so so many scenes in this movie. And, uh, you know, the whole Lincoln letter thing and the lying about the letter scene with with Sam Jackson um, mm-hmm. being confronted about lying about it and all that. It was just – I just literally said out loud, I said, dadgummit, Quentin. Like, I see so many movies this year. And I'm just thinking about all these, you know, thinking about my list. And in the middle of this movie, I'm like, this might be the best movie of the year. Like, <laughs> he just like, I like, why don't I ever think like this is going to be in the conversation? You know, I never even think about it until I see it. And I'm like, this guy is just so talented. And but uh, I want to talk about more about the performances. Walton Goggins. Good Lord. The best. Might have stolen the movie. Like, yeah. You don't really expect yeah. it. And but it just happens. The scene of him trying to say he's the sheriff of Red Rocks when they first pick him up, I mean, that's glorious. And it's just his his character I, I found myself most curious about. Yeah. Um, and Kurt Russell. This, I mean, the casting in this, it's, it's not typical. You wouldn't expect it, but mm-hmm. wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that Goggins has kind of hooked up with, with Tarantino and kind of found his way into the, the Tarantino-verse because... He's one of my favorite actors. He's a great, he's a great actor and he has a way with words almost unlike anybody else uh, going right now. And that fits so perfectly with Tarantino's dialogue. Um, And so it's been cool to see. I've been a fan of that guy for, for 10 or 15 years because of the shield and justified. He's an incredibly talented guy and he, he just, it's cool to see him like kind of get a little bit of uh, recognition because of who he's, hooked up with here nonlinear screenplay i didn't expect that part as well or nonlinear story uh, at the end when they sort of tell the story and they do the whole flashback of mm-hmm. the people that came into the house or the channing tatum group that came into the house before they fully got all that i love that and i loved the narration from quentin i don't know where that came from why what inspired that because he never really done that before mm-hmm. but i love the narration uh from from him during after the flashback happens in the rest of the movie. Yeah. I found that, uh, after the intermission for me. Yeah, exactly. For you. And where was the intermission? Between what scenes was it? Do you remember? Uh, that? yeah. Between spoiler, spoiler alert. We're in spoiler, spoiler, spoilers okay. now. Spoilers. Spoiler, spoiler. Uh, it, it's right after Samuel Jackson kills, uh, Bruce Dern. 
uh-huh. in real life, not the characters. No, uh, I can't remember the the colonel's name, but which I can't believe he hasn't been prosecuted for that. <laughs> I know. Well, what happens in a Tarantino film? You know, True. um, yeah. Right after he he guns him down, then it, the intermission popped up, which was the right time. <laughs> like that was a a very it's he used the intermission incredibly well. I felt like it was an effective use because then you come back into the theater and go straight into the narration of 15 minutes ago, you know, and right. that it was a really, it was a really cool effect. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And it's, man, this is a risky thing to do in 2015. I mean, not only to a do a Western B mm-hmm. I have no real, I mean, Sam Jackson's not really a big draw. I mean, Kurt Russell, not any, you know what I mean? Like no, sure. You know, uh, Jamie Foxx, like I said, to uh, headline this one, or Brad Pitt, like in Goris. You know, I mean, there's just, anyway. And, uh, but also, I mean, there's essentially no conflict in this movie until almost an hour and a half in. Like, we yeah. have nothing, there's, yeah, it's, it's just, just conversation. Everyone's kind of getting along and just kind of laughing, and we're just kind of getting to know these guys. And, I mean, just for the general audience, I mean, a lot of people want to check out early on this one, and you really have to invest as a as a viewer. More than more so than you would for Django, definitely, definitely. That uh, this one moves a little bit slower, but definitely. I wanted no, to no see question. the I wanted to see the three hour cut. I only I guess I saw the two hour forty, the theatrical cut. Mm-hmm. You saw the extended cut. Um, yeah, interested to see what the differences differences there are. So uh, I I noticed, and I didn't like I said I didn't see it in the uh, in the full seventy, but. I noticed he really used the wide aspect ratio to his advantage. Like there's a scene where, especially when we first meet um, Kurt Russell and uh, I don't, sorry, I didn't memorize the characters' names, uh, people. They're, they're very, I know Daisy Domergue. There you go. Uh, (laughs) She is kind of like spitting and doing her whole like flirtatious, weird, gross stuff to Sam Jackson. He's all, he's talking to Sam Jackson in the same frame. But they, it's kind of like split screen. It, it, it's essentially a way he could do split screen without doing split screen. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like there's two separate things to look at in the uh, in the scenes m- many times in the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Two yeah. separate points of focus that uh, right. are saying something about uh, about what is going to happen. So didn't feel it. It was gimmicky at all. I'm sure no. it, it added no. to the landscapes and all that. But I felt like they made use of it on a small screen as well. Yeah. Yeah, the camera work on this is awesome, and I, that's one of my favorite things about this movie is the stuff that's happening in the background because that's a that's such a master stroke of filmmaking. You know, there's there's so few directors who can pull that off correctly and effectively, and you always feel like there's something happening. And it, you know, it helps that the story lends itself to that. Of you basically have for two thirds of the movie, you basically have a murder mystery. You know, and so you are kind of. Um, already looking around to see what's going on in the background and the fact that the way that he stages the room in every shot Man, the, is the shot of the horses in the snow and the slow-mo and everything was just, oh, it's, it's chilling. Yeah. Like, it's so yeah, beautiful. It's, it's like, beautiful. Yeah. It's like National Geographic quality, like, landscapes and everything that he went out and got. I mean, I love it. Keep doing what you're doing, uh, yeah. Quentin. I love it. Where do we rank this among Tarantino's filmography? For me, Inglorious is number one. Django is probably two. Pulp Fiction three, and then I think this probably comes in at at four. I've never really. I don't 
like the Kill Bill movies at all, and I've only seen uh, I've only seen Jackie Brown once and didn't care for it. Um, but it's you know obviously it's been a while. What's the the Grindhouse? Is that is that officially uh, death, the title? Death What's proof death, and death Reservoir proof. Dogs? Yeah, yeah. Have, yeah. I'm not. I've never been a huge fan of of uh, either of those movies. Inglorious and and Django. I I I love both of those films. I own copies of them and and you know watch them. Uh, not regularly or anything, but but multiple times. Um, I understand that many people think Pulp Fiction is, you know, one of the five or ten best movies of all time, and I totally get that. It's just not quite. There's just certain things that I just don't love about that film. Number one, uh, John Travolta. But um, so that you know, I get why people love that film. It's just not quite there for me. And then I think this is right, kind of hovering around in that range of. This is a very good film, and I really enjoy parts of it. And there's other stuff that I'm just like, eh, I don't know. It's a little and it's a little overly indulgent, I think. The Bob the Mexican stuff, the blowing the heads off, and the whole yeah, it's crazy. We've said, I mean, <laughs> Jennifer Jason Lee's character was supposed to be Jennifer Lawrence, or that's who he had in mind for her. That would have been crazy to come off. Yeah, Hunger that would have been a different too. Hatefully, <laughs> yeah, on uh, the theaters would be kind of jarring for a lot of that would have been a big star though that would have been a lot of sure big box office uh that's for sure so where do we rank this this year as far as screenplays go is this going to take home the original we think what else is up for for that award do we think i don't know what did i submit pull, Brian? yeah i gotta pull up your uh your list here we got a post coming later this week of Oscar, Oscar our Oscar votes. Yeah, so, Oscar uh, vote prediction uh, um, blog post coming. So you had, and I think I fairly well agreed with this on what my vote would be. You had Hateful Eight, Spotlight, Ex Machina, Inside Out, and Trainwreck. So yes, I would say that is, I think this is his best script. Um, and that's saying something because I think both Inglorious Bastards and Django are, are incredibly, incredibly well-written scripts. I think this is a better script. I just, it's, uh, you know the typical. The, the I, way, I think he gets in his way, his own way a little. The bit, the, you know? the script itself is great, but the freedom that the actors had, you felt, yeah. to go yeah. any which way they wanted with it, to just go completely over the top. Like especially Kurt Russell, like you could tell, mm-hmm. man that 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 role was, of course, a great role. But man, he just they they, they juice everything they can out of these uh, roles, and there's, I mean. The way they use the steady cam and stuff inside the uh inside the actual uh aberdashery mm-hmm. was yeah. was great. They're just kind of moving around the room and there's a lot of long takes, you know, like multiple like five minute uh scenes and that are just one take and everything and Yeah. A lot of freedom for the actors. Kurt Russell was great. I, I love Kurt Russell, always been a big fan of his and it's like it's like every you kind of forget about him because he's not really a star anymore. He kind of had that turn in the in the mid to to late nineties where he was the head of. He seemed like he was in every movie, mm-hmm. and then that kind of died out, and he went away for a while. And he just pops up every now and then, and I I always I always think he's great. And this was just straight out. Of, this is like this is like uh, if uh, if he just took his tombstone character and then got crazy and you know, a little, a little dirtier down the road, you know, it was a very, you kind of, uh, channeling that, which I really enjoyed. Yeah. As far as my rankings would go, I would go probably Pulp Fiction. Number one, still, I like Kill Bill, maybe Kill Bill. Number two, 
uh, both of them. And then I would go maybe Hateful Eight three, Inglorious four, Django five would be my list. And I like Reservoir Dogs a lot. Reservoir Dogs might actually be over Django for me. Interesting. Richard, any any other thoughts on this? I want to talk a little bit more about Sam Jackson in this. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, because this is a – is this performance underrated because we always expect Sam Jackson to be awesome in Tarantino movies? I feel like this would be – if this was kind of an out-of-nowhere performance, I think people – he'd be getting some award buzz. But I don't think he is because it's just like, eh, it's what he does in Tarantino movies. Yeah, and it's kind of—I don't know—it's like an unfair. Uh, Maybe if he say. hadn't done in, um, Django, like if he had yeah. taken one off and kind of re, re came come back with this one, um, maybe mm-hmm. there'd be more conversation about it. I had him; I think I had him as a nominee, Brian, in my best actor. Yeah, uh, you do. Mm-hmm. I, I think he might squeeze into the top five if you're really gonna really gonna talk about it and try to narrow it down. Who did I? Who else did I have against him? You had Fassbender, DiCaprio, Redmayne, and Will Smith. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, can't really think of many more that I would yeah. put ahead of him. He's he's gonna have a shot. It, the thing is about it, this movie is supporting multiple people. Yeah. Support Kurt Russell and Walton Goggins will probably be in the conversation for mm-hmm. supporting actor. That is always the hardest category, yep. and it is super deep this year. I'm I uh, am making my list today or yesterday, and most categories, you know, like for actor, I had I think I had seven actors that I was trying to choose from. When I got right down to it, I had 15 on Best Supporting Actor. Like, there's just so many great choices. The entire cast of Spotlight. In fairness, yeah, I was going to say that, but in fairness, you did write down Slice the Lone 11 times. Yeah, I couldn't stop. It was yeah. just, yeah. I think it'll yeah, Paul, be, I think, Paul I think it'll be Ruffalo. I don't know, man, because he's getting it. This is the drunkest award season that I can ever remember yep. because there's so many good films. And then it's like randomly Mad Max it dominates. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You're like, what again? It's crazy it, because usually by this point you have a really good feel for there's always a surprise or two. But for the most part, within the big eight categories, you kind of know who it's going to be, you know. And this year, I don't think anybody, anybody who's betting on this is it, it, you're losing money this year because it's just such. <laughs> <We'll see about. laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just all over the map because they're literally there. We're not usually I think we're drawing from 12 movies this time of year, yeah, you know, I, with, the, with yeah. a few spots here and there. But there is a legitimate there's 20 or 25 movies to, to pull from. Yeah, year. I actually when I saw Steve Jobs, the movie, it um I thought for sure it would be a Best Picture nominee. I was like, that's going to be yeah. in the top ten. And then I don't think it was on my list either, Brian. So No, it's, it, uh, it's not. And, and it it's not going to get nominated yeah. for, for Best Picture. And it it's possible that Fossbender gets left out as well. I mean, yeah, it's, it's got a... a shame. Uh, such a yeah, shame. It's got a screen, screenplay nomination locked up, I think. But everything else could be up for grabs. I think Adapted's going to be tough this year. Adapted screenplay. And we're getting into Oscar talk here, but I'm just... Yeah. It's on my mind. Lately. We'll have lots of that next week because the nominations come out next week sometime, maybe before our, our uh, Revenant episode. Yeah. So let's hit grades here unless you all have any closing thoughts. Um, I'm going to give this a solid A. Brian? I'm going to go A-. minus. Richard? I'm going to go A- minus as well. All right. This one will come up later this year again. I'm going to sit on this one for a while, maybe revisit it actually. And – uh so expect a part two conversation on this. So let's uh, hit a recommend. But before we do that, 
Richard, I believe we have an Audible recommend. Of course we do. Brian, what do we like to do? You and I are always about giving the people what they want, right? Always giving the people what they want. So I've got a book called Got to Give the People What They Want. True Stories and Flagrant Opinions from Center Court, right? Yep. It's by Jalen Rose. It's a great memoir of life in the NBA. You and I love basketball. A lot of our listeners like basketball. We get a lot of emails and tweets about basketball. It's basketball season. It's basketball it season. We're at the heart of it. Football season is coming to an end. Kent, how you feeling? I'm feeling great. It's a great Audible. It's it's really fun. Anytime they're read by the author. These are the kind of books that are great to Audible. If you want to read uh, some serious literature that sometimes is fine to read, read. But if you just want something fun, throw it in your ear. Go around town. Run your errands. You'll learn something. You'll laugh. No one loves Audible more than me. I'm so thrilled to have them as part of this show. It's a great service. Go to audible.com slash mad for your choice of over 180,000 audiobooks. I wish I could read more. Now I can, thanks to Audible. Thanks, Audible. Hey, ma'am, fam, question for you. Do you own a small business or are you a boss? Are you looking to hire awesome people, but you just can't find somebody to fill that role? Let me tell you about ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites all with one click. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. Right now, you can post your jobs for free on ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast. Brian. My weekly recommend, dear Kent, so I'm, I'm doing major catch-up on everything. I try to watch like 100 billion movies right before the end of the year so that my, my end-of-year lists can be fully populated and uh, as official as I could possibly make them because I take this way more seriously than uh, anybody who would ever possibly read anything that I write. So... I've watched a ton of movies in the last few weeks, and I've watched a bunch of documentaries. And uh, it's a really good year, really good year for documentaries. I watched one a couple of nights ago that I that I really enjoyed. I like to watch documentaries about subjects that I don't know hardly anything about. So, one that was recommended to me was is a film that's on Netflix. It's called Best of Enemies: Buckley versus yeah. Vidal. Um, and I know Richard's a big fan of this as well. It is about a series of debates that took place in the late 60s and into the 70s mm-hmm. between Tim Buckley and Gore Vidal, who were um, on extreme ends of the political spear, I guess, or spectrum. Uh, it, it's kind of like the precursor to every Talking Head TV show that we have now, except the debates were really fascinating and uh and they hated each other, like legitimately kind of probably wanted to murder each other. So it was a very so the, the footage that they have from the debates and these were nationally televised are just fascinating. And they're just it's they're filled with just anger. And uh, it was really well, really well put together. Um, both of them. I don't know enough about either of them. So I'm 
you know, Richard probably can speak more to uh, to them as to Buckley and and Verdal as people or as uh, the the product that they put out. Anyway, the the, the film itself was very interesting. It's on Netflix, like I said, uh, and I I highly recommend it. Best of Enemies: Buckley versus Vidal. Great. And uh, just to say, it's it's William F. Buckley, not Tim Buckley, the uh, singer songwriter. Did I say Tim Buckley? Jeff, yeah, the father okay. of Jeff Buckley. It's okay. not him either. William F. Buckley. Just a quick uh, <laughs> throw that in there. It's weird but when Hallelujah is the only song in the soundtrack. Just... <laughs> yes. Great. You wanna? I wanna recommend. Go ahead. Making a murder. Netflix. Great. I am dying yeah. to watch it. I'm gonna get to it this weekend. Here's my question for you, Ken. Yeah. And I'm serious about this. Will I like it? Because I know everyone loves it. I'm not it's, normally it's, like it's comparative. It's compared to the jinx in the way they're both about okay. a crime. Like, that's the only way yeah. you can compare it, I guess. It's more, way more drawn out than the jinx. They show a lot of more uncut interrogation and courtroom footage and things. I think you'll like it just because... It's basically a 10-hour version of a one-hour Dateline special. Uh, so, but very interesting. Very, very interesting. We should talk about it in detail, maybe at a later date when you all see it. Put it on the list. Fantastic. I will. That's probably good. We probably should do an episode of that because that's like uh, everyone's, everyone and their mother has seen that. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to do my uh, recommend. It's it's a short one. It's easy to easy to read. Um, and, and enjoyable. It's a quick one, and it's on Variety.com. Uh, if you just search it on Variety.com, it's a new uh, new feature. It's an oral history of Lazy Sunday, uh, the 10-year anniversary. And uh, Lazy Sunday is important, not just comedically, by uh, giving us people like uh, the Lonely Island guys, but it's important because it was like kind of the first viral YouTube video. Um, and so it kind of is important technologically as well in its own stupid way. Uh, so I, uh, it's on Variety.com. Easily Google Googleable. Uh, it's a quick little read about that. It's kind of interesting how how comedy sometimes can influence uh, technology. Lonely Island, gotta love it. You don't have to, but you can. You can. You are legally legally allowed to love them. <laughs> Good to or, know. Or legally that. allowed to hate them. I will well. consider yes, also them. free. Co- that's what a free country is. Lonely Island movie. Tim next Buckley year. fought Can't for your rights. Can't wait for the Lonely <laughs> Island podcast episode we do. All right. Noted conservative Tim Buckley. <laughs> Where can we find you online, Richard? You can find me on Twitter at Richard Barden or at richardbarden.com. Brian, where can I find you? You can find me on the Twitter at bgill 12 You can find my writing at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. Richard, where can we Or no, Kent, where can I already, we find you? I already told you, sir. I know. I wasn't listening to you. because You can find me Darren on Twitter. Policy. You can find me on Twitter at Kent Garrison. And find our show on Twitter as well. Just search Mad About Movies. I don't know the link. What is it? M-A-M underscore podcast. That's very easy to remember. Can't believe I didn't remember that. (laughs) Also, you can search for us on Facebook, right? You can, I believe. Awesome. Fun. Also, you can search for us on Flickr. (laughs) Just kidding. Creepy photos Brian takes (laughs) are available to (laughs) everyone. And on that note, we'll see you next time at the cinema. Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling Tossed salads and scrambled eggs And maybe I seem a bit confused Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged Ha, 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 ha But I
I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me ya ya. Your salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. <laughs> 